What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today's episode, I'm going to share a little insight into my own diet phase that I'm going through right now. And also tell you one thing that more than ever, I think is probably the most important and overlooked aspect of any dieting phase and really health in general. And it's something that when I tell you what it is, you're going to probably shake your head and probably be very annoyed and frustrated because it's something that for a lot of people, they can't control to a certain extent. But it it is probably the single most important thing. And it, it's hard to isolate and say what's more important than, than anything else. But this is something that impacts every other area of your health and wellness, meaning this one thing will impact your food choices, will impact your workouts, will impact your recovery, will impact your mood, will impact your ability to uh, have cognitive function, will impact your relationships. Quite literally, everything will be influenced by this one single thing. Now, I'm going to give you some, some time to to guess and think about what I'm talking about, because I'm sure that you've got some thoughts right now and you're probably correct, whatever those thoughts are. Anyway, before I get into all of that, uh, it is time to announce the winner for our weekly giveaway. And if you're unfamiliar, if you're new to the show, every single Wednesday, we announce one winner. I say we, I announce one winner. I say we because I feel like this is a team effort, that it's not just me, that it's you know the entire pop family and, and everybody involved. But anyway, um, I will pick a winner who leaves a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So if you just open up the app on your phone and you type and you tap the search button and you type in Mind Over Macros, and then you tap on the thumbnail that comes up, and then you scroll all the way down, you'll see ratings and reviews, and then you can hit the write a review button. And if you submit a five-star review, you are eligible to win a free supplement of your choice, any product that you want from one of our sponsors, Legion Athletics, Organifi, or Cured Nutrition. And they're all amazing. So you can go to any of their sites and look through all of the various products that they have and pick one that you want to try. All right, so this week's winner is Kathy S6160. That's the username. The title of the review says, Great Information and Observations. And the review says, This podcast is my favorite to listen to. Mike is the real thing. I love a straight shooter and he tells it like it is. So many of the things he says are things I say to myself, but in hearing him say it, I realize just how absurd some of my thoughts are. I also realize that maybe I'm not as crazy as I feel with my thoughts because Mike really gets it. I look forward to every episode. Always great takeaways, and I always learn something new that helps me in my journey. Thank you so much, Kathy. I know you're definitely not crazy. And one of the most important takeaways is that your thoughts are most often not fact. It's something that is very challenging for me, but it has been one of the most transformational realizations that I've had in my lifetime because I used to hold on to my thoughts as if they were 100% truth all the time. And the reality is they're very rarely truth. We have tens of thousands of thoughts every single day. It is irrational to think that they are all fact-based. And similarly, when we have emotions, our emotions do not need to be immediately acted upon. And if you can learn how to observe your thoughts without treating them as hard truth, and if you can learn how to observe your emotions without immediately reacting to them, you're going to have a much more fulfilling and healthy life. That is just a reality in every area. It'll help your relationships. It'll help your communication. It'll help your fitness. Everything. Uh, will be improved with that process. Anyway, uh, if you don't mind, if you're listening to this right now and you are not subscribed or following the show, please do so. Uh, there's a good chunk of people who listen, who download episodes, but they're not actually subscribed to the show. And all it does is it just notifies you and you can even turn off notifications. So it, it would be just like it is right now. Um, you can just hit the follow button or subscribe button wherever you listen. And all that means is that you will be 
getting the episodes automatically, or you'll be notified of new episodes when they come out every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Once again, you can also turn off notifications. So um, that's probably the most effective way of helping us reach new people. And, you know, we want to keep growing. We want to keep impacting more people and spreading the good word. And, you know, for those of you who appreciate the, uh, the straight shooter mentality, um, then that's awesome. That would be super helpful. All right. So the first thing that I want to share is just a little insight. Uh, I find that uh, I've asked this a few times where where I'll talk a little bit about my own personal experience with dieting, with fat loss. And and I'm always like, nobody wants to hear about that. But then I do a little poll or a survey and that seems to be pretty popular. So um, I will share the first week of my dieting phase. And I can tell you exactly what I'm trying to accomplish and how I'm doing it and the approach and everything. And you'll also hear about all of my fuck ups along the way, because I promise you I will screw up. I already did. Not, not intentionally. There's times where you'll probably hear me say, I'll come on here and I'll say, you know, that weekend, I really didn't want to, um, you know, sway off my, my nutrition and I ended up overindulging and yada, yada, yada. You'll hear, you'll hear stuff like that. This time it was an unintentional mistake, but, uh, I'm one weekend, uh, Mel and I started our, our dieting phase, whatever fat loss phase, dieting phase, cut, Whatever you want to call it, it's the same shit. Basically, we are intentionally trying to lose some body fat right now. And we both started, uh, cliche, we both started right after New Year's. So we January 2nd, was it the 2nd? Yeah, the 2nd, Tuesday. So what we did was we started with a moderate deficit. Uh, I don't know her exact numbers, but I can tell you my exact numbers. I am targeting 2300 calories which is about somewhere around 6 to 700 calorie deficit and based off of that my projection is that it'll take me somewhere around 12 weeks because I have some built-in diet breaks along the way and uh, my maintenance is right around 3000 calories probably a little bit less these days um, just based off of my activity levels and how frequently I work out. And, you know, I only, I say only, I get about 10 to 11,000 steps per day. Uh, but I also like to have some room to maneuver. So this is my starting point. And my objective here, my, my starting weight is around 194, which is, which is high for me. I think I mentioned at one point that my, oh fuck number is 195. And my first weigh in, my first official weigh in for this dieting phase, like the Here's my official starting weight was actually 194.8. So you can imagine that I went and told Mel that I'm a piece of shit and how awful I am and how fat I am. And, you know, I still have those thoughts like those, the old way of thinking, the, you know, body image issues, the body dysmorphia, I definitely still have that. So uh, what I found is that it's really nice for me to be able to say those things to her get it out of my head and know that once again, my thoughts are not fact because anybody who would, would see me or would look at me would not say you're fat. And I'm over here like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm ridiculously fat. So I get it out. And now I'm on my way a weekend. Now here's what happened after the first week. I was about, let's say three days, three days into my dieting phase and then I had a little tracking error where I thought that I was eating one serving of something and I ate four servings of something and it put me at about a little over 2,800 calories. Um, but I think I already mentioned that. No big deal. We move on. So that was my first mistake, but I've been super consistent and really just keeping things very simple, You know, 10 to 11,000 steps per day, uh, playing tennis twice a week, sometimes three getting to the gym three days per week uh, to lift and nothing crazy, just trying to maintain my muscle and drop about, you know, realistically about 12 pounds. I said before 10, but I thought my starting weight was a little bit lower. So probably more realistically about 12 pounds. Uh, and then I'll give myself some room. This is another thing when you're going through a fat loss phase, give yourself some room to come up a little bit. So for me, 
I would rather hang out around like 185, 186. So if I get down to about 182, 183, it gives me a little bit of wiggle room to bounce back up, which is inevitable. So I'd like to have a little bit of a buffer there. And then if I'm like, you know, maintaining around 187, 188, I'm totally fine with that. The the number's not really important. Uh, but what I wanted to discuss was the fact that after this first week, I am basically weight stable, which if you go to like six, six to 700 calorie deficit, super consistent, except for one day. But even that one day was not a surplus because I did track everything. I went back and I corrected my mistake and I saw exactly where my macros were, which was just about maintenance slightly below. So I still maintained a, a very, very, very slight deficit. That was it. And then everything else, I was every other day, I was completely on point with hitting my numbers precisely. I'm I'm weighing everything. Um, you know, I'm I'm very consistent and my weight is basically stable after a week. Is it frustrating? Of course. Of course. And this is the thing. Coaches and people who do this for a living, like myself, and I've been doing this for a very long time. I've been in this industry over 10 years. So I know all the logical things. Logically, I know that the scale is not telling me all of the things that are happening. I also know the way that weight fluctuations happen and how sometimes we're going to be carrying more water or food in our system or stress is higher or there might be some inflammation or or anything depending on recovery and, and sleep quality and things of that nature. So I know all of those things. The logic side of my brain gets it. But the emotional side of my brain is still frustrated because it is a measure like there is something motivating about seeing lower numbers on the scale. And it's a constant work in progress of dealing with that dynamic and that relationship. It's something where I have to communicate to myself and really shift the focus because once again, I stepped on the scale this morning and I was like, what the fuck? I'm basically the same weight. And I said to Mel, like, this is kind of annoying. And she's like, you look leaner already. I can see that you've lost some of that, like a little bit of the bloat and, you know, things are happening. And I didn't, I'm just like, you know, I get it. I appreciate you, but I'm also frustrated. It's annoying. And then I took a step back because I am trying to observe the thought and recognize like, this is not based in fact. And I go through my whole process and then I'm like, all right, let's let's think about all the things that I wanted to get accomplished this week. I hit all my workouts. I hit my step target every single day. I hit my protein target every single day. I hit my calorie target every day except for one. Uh, I felt like I could have done a little bit better with, with water intake. So I said that to Mel. I was like, all right, if I'm looking at this from a process-based lens, the one thing that I'd like to improve upon in this upcoming week is my water intake. And that's it. And so the the point being is I immediately felt a lot better about what I'm doing. My my goal, my plan and my hope because I can't really control this, but my hope is that I can ride out these numbers and get the scale below 190 before having to make an adjustment. Because I know myself and I know my body and I know how I respond to fat loss, I will have to go load lower and I will have to go significantly lower. Uh, my, my finishing calories will probably be around 1800, maybe 1700 to get down to 182, 183. My finishing step count will likely have to be around 14 to 15,000 a day. I already know what I'm in store for, but I would like to ride this out and not have to go that low so soon. So I'm hoping that I can crack the 180s right where I am, just doing what I'm doing and staying as consistent as I'm staying and letting this process play out. And the reason why I'm sharing that is because a lot of people will overreact to the fact that 
well, I've been dieting for a week. And it's kind of funny when you say it out loud, like I've been dieting for a week and I'm not making progress. Should I lower my calories? That's, that is so ridiculous. And I'm, I'm saying it, it's ridiculous as I'm thinking it, as I'm struggling with it myself. And that's why I wanted to share because I understand that thought process, but it's a week and you can't tell within a week. It's a cumulative process. And there's so much fluctuation when it comes to daily body weight. Like you can fluctuate five, six, seven pounds in a single day based off of water retention alone. So it's really challenging to make any sort of conclusions after a week. The conclusion that you can make is based off of the process. It's based off of your consistency with the process. And that is what I'm really trying to assess. And what's really helped me, I've, I've already started to notice the hunger, especially on days where I play tennis, already started to notice the hunger, but I've managed it really well. It hasn't been bad. It's been very manageable. And I feel really good about the way that I have almost created a template to follow with my meals and with my my timing and everything like that. So um, getting my steps in has kind of become a very repeatable process. My workout and tennis schedule has become a repeatable process. My meals have become a repeatable process. It's basically the same across the board with some like very, very minor deviations. And when I say minor, I'm talking about like instead of, you know, chicken for dinner, we're having salmon, or instead of salmon for dinner, we're having, you know, grass-fed beef, or instead of grass-fed beef, we're having, you know, cod or whatever. It's those type of details, but the structure itself is basically the exact same. My snacks, my meals, all of it. And it feels good because I know hunger has been manageable. The other part of it that I've already started to assess is where do I pull calories when it is time to reduce calories, when it is time to go lower. And that's something that I've kind of been strategic about because I can already see little places that I can can pluck 100 calories here, 100 calories there. That will be, I'll, I'll, it'll allow me to keep the, the same exact structure that I have, but simply make some minor changes that will almost be exact. It'll feel exactly the same um, even when I go lower on my calorie total. Now, my personality type, I'm somebody who does crave variety. But one of the things that I've I've caught myself, um, there's there's been a couple like huge awareness pieces. Number one, this dieting phase, I always learn something. Every time I go through a fat loss phase, such a, a beautiful learning process. The first thing that I learned is that when I am not dieting, when I'm not tracking, when I'm just in my pure, like living my best life, maintenance, fluffy phase, my tendency, my tendency to just grab shit is crazy. Like open the fridge, grab something, open the, the cabinet, grab something. The kids, you know, have some leftover chicken nuggets, grab something. That I've I've actually caught myself just mindlessly like reaching and being like, what the hell are you doing? It's not even time to eat yet. Like I've noticed it and just a week into it, that habit has started to die down just one weekend. And I've noticed that the urge and the mindless, you know, habit has started to die down. So that was the first thing that I learned. The second thing that I learned is when I create awareness around this kind of need for cheap dopamine. And by the way, cheap dopamine is like, I'm going to do something more extreme because I'm not making progress fast enough, or I'm going to change something, or I need more variety. It's basically your brain seeking out that seek that, that, that quick dopamine or adrenaline hit, which I'm very prone to. But what I've noticed is that when I actually identify it and I speak it into, like, I'll say it to myself like wow that that's crazy that i find myself seeking out this this cheap dopamine hit and then i reframe it and i'm like the real value 
is in delaying that impulse and, and, and pushing past that impulse and doing the things that I know are in my best interest. And it's actually been very rewarding so far. And granted, I'm, I'm a weekend. So like not patting myself on the back, but it has been a great awareness and learning opportunity for me to recognize the tendency and to know that I have control over it, that I don't have to just, you know, give in to the cheap dopamine urge that I don't have to just, you know, dive into my impulse that I can be aware of it and I can talk myself through it. And more importantly, I can take action. And that's the most important thing. Action that's, that aligns with what I'm trying to accomplish. So uh, it was a productive first week and I feel good about where I'm at. Despite the scale being annoying, um, I will keep plugging along and I will you know keep you guys posted. Um, and I, I think that there's another thing I wanted to mention and before I get into the way I teed up this episode, but it, it's worth mentioning because it, it's really, it's going to be hard for a lot of people to hear. And this is going to sound maybe a little bit harsh, but I find that when you are trying to achieve something, it doesn't matter what you're trying to achieve and you're trying to achieve anything. When you're trying to accomplish something when you have a goal that you want to hit. I find that it's very important to pay attention to human behavior. Because our natural inclination is to assume that we're not like most people. The problem with most people is that most people don't think they're most people. So oftentimes when, you know, you'll hear me say things like statistically, only 8% of people will achieve their New Year's resolution. A great study that was done, University of Scranton, I've referenced it a bunch of times, but basically it shows that New Year's resolutions are the best time to reach your goals. And the best time to reach your goal means eight to 9% of people will actually succeed. That's the best statistic, which says something about goal achievement. Now, when most people hear that, they go, well, I'm not like most people, so I won't fall into that statistic. We don't like to identify with negative attributes. Uh, you're a failure when it comes to your goal. That I don't want to identify that way. So of course, immediately I think that's not me. So the, the fascinating thing is when you pay attention to human behavior, you start to recognize these little subtleties that make it make sense. Like it is very apparent why so many people fail to reach their goals. Because you would think we have all of this information. We know how this process works. It's very straightforward, right? Small, sustainable, process-oriented change. That's it. <laughs> One thing at a time. Process focused, don't be so married to the outcome, focused on the actions and habits that will get you there, and then insert them methodically over time. We know how this process works. It has been conclusive across the board. If you want to achieve a goal, that's how you do it. So we have all the information. Most people don't think they're most people. So they're like, well, I'm not going to fall into that statistic. But then you pay attention to behaviors and subtleties, and it makes sense. And an example, this past weekend, I sent out an email to my audience. I have a pretty big email list and basically inviting people to join coaching. And the invite is pretty clear. It's basically like if you, you know, are uh, a person, if you're a human and you have this body composition goal that you want to achieve, uh, I'm going to be working with a small group of people to help them achieve this goal in a way that has been proven to work is sustainable. Um, and, and, you know, if you're interested, you know, despite all the things that you've tried in the past that haven't worked, I can assure you that this process will work for you because it's built around you. And we've done it with thousands of people. We can do it with you too. And then I gave like a PS PS. This is only if you are committed and you truly want sustainable change. And again, I, I do this relatively frequently where I'll just say like, this is what our coaching program is about. This is who it's for. This is what it can help you accomplish. This is exactly how it works. I try to give as much excruciating detail as I possibly can. And a lot of people will reply and they'll say, and I always say like, you know, reply to this email that you're interested and then I'll reply back so we can chat about details because here's how I like to do things. I like to first find out we can't help everybody. Like we're not for everybody. 
I know who we're for. I know who we're not for. Just like the individual should be assessing if we are the right fit for them, that's 100% what the individual should be doing. Is this the right coaching program for me? The same way that we assess, is this the right client for us? So that's how the process works. And I'm very specific about that. And I, I say it ahead of time. And I also say, like, only respond if you're serious about long-term sustainable change. Meaning if you want fast results, we're probably not for you. If you want a quick fix, we're not for you. If you want permanent long-term sustainable change, we can probably help. But I need to know for sure if we can help. For example, I had a chat with somebody who was like, can you help someone who's dealing with pancreatic cancer and going through chemo? And I said, no, that's out of our scope. Uh, you know, I, I wish you nothing but a speedy recovery. And, and I hope um, that you find the support that you're looking for. But that would be me going against our scope of practice. And, and I'm not going to do that. So that's the purpose of having conversation, which I'm very upfront about. So here's the funny part. A lot of people will respond and they'll be like, yes, I'm interested. And I'll be like, okay, great. Let's schedule a time to chat. Sometimes I'll schedule a time to chat. Sometimes I'll just ask the questions directly in email or messenger. Um, but either way, it's like, sounds great. Let's schedule a time to chat. Now, I would say probably around 10%, which ironically, the percent of goal achievement is right around there. Around 10% actually follow through with just a conversation. If you don't, if you need any more proof of why most people fail, look no further. This explains it all. Success is based off of decisions and follow through. There's nothing more. Successful people. All they do is they make faster, more definitive decisions, and then they adjust from there. The people that reply and then they sit on the fence and they don't set up the, the chat and then they end up in the same spot, they're kind of on the fence and they don't know what to do and they're indecisive. All they're doing is delaying their opportunity to be successful. Now, here's the thing. You might be saying, well, you're only saying that because you want people to join your program, which is bullshit. Because... Number one, I want the right people to join the program who think that it's the right fit for them and we think it's the right fit for us. But beyond that, I want people to make definitive decisions. The people that reply and they say, you know what? On second thought, I'm not actually interested. Those people will be successful because they made a quick de definitive decision and now they can learn and adjust from there and make the next decision and the next decision. The people that straight up say, you know what? It sounded interesting at first, but on second thought, I don't want to talk to you. Great. That's a decision. That shows me the behavior of somebody who will probably be successful. The people that sit on the fence and ignore and don't respond and all the, th the reasons that they delay and don't make decisions and they will, that is the behavior. I shouldn't say they will be a failure because they might change their ways. I'm also open to people changing. However, in the short term, they are exhibiting failure type behavior. So if that strikes a chord, if that bothers you, maybe there's something to pursue there, to look into, because it is definitive. We have research. We have, like, we know the blueprint. We know what success looks like. We know what failure looks like. This has been studied ad nauseum. You don't have to look very far to find research to show successful behavior, making decisions, being definitive. There's no right or wrong decision. We see this over and over again. Successful people don't make better decisions. They just make more decisions and then they learn from those decisions and use that information to continue to make more decisions. That's what we know to be true. The same thing. Check this out. We're, we're doing a neurotype fat loss study. Now, here is the process that I followed for this study. First, I mentioned that there would be a study to gauge interest, and I got a lot of interest. Then I did a 40-minute video uh, training on Zoom 
and invited everybody to join who was interested. And I broke down exactly what the study, like I went over through a whole Google doc on Zoom live and recorded it. And I broke down the study, how it works, who it's for, the intent, uh, the cost to participate, what's expected of each participant, literally in excruciating detail, broke it all down. From there, after on the video, I said, after hearing all of these details, if you're still interested, here is a form for you to fill out. And once you fill out the form, we will follow up with you and get you confirmed for the study. Okay? That's the process. <laughs> okay? Meaning, in order to even be on the interest list, you had to express interest, you had to watch the video, you had to go over all the details, and then you had to fill out a form, and then you had to get a message from us confirming your spot in the study. 230 people expressed interest. That means they knew there was a study, they knew all of the details, they knew how it works, they knew who it's for, they knew what's expected, they knew the price, they knew all the things. 230 people submitted that they were interested. We have about 50 people confirmed for the study. What does that tell you? That tells you that, and, and first of all, uh, the first part of that is we've had a lot of people who have responded with like nasty remarks when we reach out to confirm their spot. Like, how dare you reach out to me about something that I expressed interest in multiple times? That is failure behavior. Now, the people who say, you know what, I was interested, but I'm no longer interested, that is successful behavior. That's normal. That is successful behavior. That means that that individual who was like, it sounded good. Maybe I got caught up in the moment. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not interested right now. Amazing. That is successful behavior. The people that submit the information and then get offended that we're reaching out to confirm or the people that submit the information and then delay, 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 punt, 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 no decision, no decision, no decision. That's failure behavior. It's just the reason why I'm sharing that is because we never want to assume that we're like most people, but there's a reason why 92% of people will fail at achieving their goals. And when I see examples of it, I want to point it out because if you are exhibiting that type of behavior, rather than just deflecting and being like, screw you, Mike, that's not me, maybe take a serious look in the mirror. Just assess if maybe that is your behavior. It might be the case. And if it is, you have the opportunity to change it. And if you don't change it, that's fine. But at least you have some real insight into why you're not successful. And I would rather know if I'm not going to succeed at something personally, I would rather know why I'm not successful, right? Like if I'm trying to, I don't know, beat a video game and I keep making the same mistake and I keep dying in the same spot over and over and over again. And then somebody who beat the game is like, listen, Mike, you keep trying to like, you know, jump over this enemy here, but the way to beat the enemy is to, you know, shoot your fireball at him or something, whatever. And then I have that information, but then I keep trying to jump over him and I keep dying. At least I know I'm like, well, I'm trying to do it my way. I know that this way is not working, but at least I understand why. And I have a choice to keep doing it this way that hasn't worked. So there's no, it's just coming from a place of awareness can be really empowering. And if you are willing to accept that maybe you are exhibiting that type of behavior and it explains some of the reasons why you're not making progress, why you're not getting to where you want to be, uh, at least you can understand it. And uh, then you get to decide, do I want to change it or do I want to just live with this outcome that I've been getting all along? All right, now let's talk about what I actually came here to talk about, which is the one thing that influences everything else when you're trying to lose fat when you're trying to get healthy, when you're trying to build muscle, um, I'm curious, and I, I purposefully let this drag on a little bit longer than I normally would have, because I wanted to allow you time to think about what the answer is. And I'm, I'm guessing that there's a good chunk that has figured it out. But the answer is sleep. The answer is sleep. And I just listened to a sleep expert, which made this like fresh in my mind. And 
there were so many little behavior type of uh, influences with sleep deprivation that I, I felt like I had to bring this up again because I have done show. I've done episodes on sleep. I've done episodes on stress. I've done episodes on pretty much everything. So there's going to be redundancy here. It just is what it is. There's only so many topics that we can talk about when it comes to health, fitness, and nutrition, all that stuff. But there's like the obvious implications of lack of sleep. When you, even one single night of sleep deprivation, and by the way, sleep deprivation is defined as less than seven hours of sleep of quantity, but quality is really important. Quality is really important as well. So the amount of time that you actually spend in bed is important. The amount of actual quality deep sleep that you get is is equally as important. It's kind of like the calories thing where some people are like, well, the amount that you eat is more important. And then other people are like, the, the quality of what you eat is more important. And the reality is they're equally. It's both. It's not or, it's and. Quality and quantity. That goes for nutrition. That also goes for sleep. So you might get eight hours of sleep quantity-wise, but quality-wise, you might still be sleep-deprived. One single night of sleep deprivation, um, or what experts would call sleep debt, which is defined as the amount that you need is less than the amount that you got. That's the definition of sleep debt. If you have even one night of sleep debt, you will make worse choices with food. That's proven. Why? Because it impacts your hormones. It impacts your hunger hormones. It impacts your satiety hormones. It also influences your mood, your emotional regulation. Um, it 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 uh, impacts your executive function, being able to just be a normal functioning human. There was a really cool study that was done on sleep deprivation and and executive function, and the and the people who were sleep deprived could not tell that they acted differently with sleep debt. They thought that they did everything the same, like they worked the same, they interacted with their family the same. However, the people that were closest to them, colleagues, employees, family members, they all could tell the difference. They could tell the difference in their facial expressions, in their mood, in the way that they handled themselves and conducted themselves. All these things were obvious just based off of simple sleep debt. Uh, the other thing that we know is that chronic sleep deprivation, which chronic sleep deprivation by definition is not that much, like it's, it's probably not as, you might think it's really hard to fall into the category of chronically sleep deprived, but it's actually not. The definition that was used was basically if you are awake at any time between the hours of 10 p.m. and 4 a.m., and I think it's for an hour in that time frame, for two nights per week for up to or as little as 25 days of the year. Something like I might be mis misquoting that. Um, I had it pretty solid in my head, and now I, I'm a little bit nervous that I, I misquoted that. I'm pretty sure that I have it right, where it's, I know the hours, 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., and I know it's two days a week, and I know it's, I believe, uh, that's the part that I'm not certain on, I believe it's 25 days out of the year. Um, that qualifies you as chronically sleep-deprived, which is a lot of people. Um, it takes years off of your life. The statistic that was thrown out there was that shift workers, um, their average life expectancy is 15 years less than average, which is crazy. And the the sleep expert that I was listening to, basically her whole life's work is to try and help mitigate that. She is trying to help mitigate the you know, decline in life expectancy for shift workers um, because for them, it's out of their control. I, you know, obviously they're choosing a job that they understand like what, but you know, what, you know, we need shift workers and a lot of them are, are really important jobs. And, and so 
she's trying to see if there's anything that we can do to help to mitigate that. Um, and there certainly are. There's things with like your your light and uh, your food schedule and you know your nutrition and your exercise routine and all these things. Um, but the main point is that we have this thing that we often overlook in this process of trying to get healthier, to trying trying to improve body composition, trying to lose fat, and it literally influences everything else. And when you are suffering from one night of sleep debt, you're influencing your food choices, you're influencing your ability to build muscle, you're influencing your ability to recover, you're influencing your relationships, meaning you're more likely to uh, argue and fight with your spouse or with a family member. You're influencing your executive and cognitive function, meaning how you perform at work, how you show up for the people that you care about, your ability to just do basic tasks. You're influencing overall mood. You're influencing your ability to um, actually store and file information as significant or insignificant. So you might be more prone to getting triggered by something that is insignificant or normally would have been insignificant. And you're making this whole thing, this whole process, way more difficult than it needs to be simply by not prioritizing sleep. You're also people who get six hours or less of sleep per night are over five times more likely to get in a car accident, over five times more likely to get into a car accident than those who sleep seven hours or more. So quite literally, your health, your life depends on it. Now, the real question is, what's in your control and what's not? Because anytime that I talk about things like sleep or stress, a lot of times people push back and they're like, well, I can't control it. I Maybe I have a newborn or I have, you know, uh, I have a job schedule, work schedule, all the things that impact your ability to get enough sleep. And my answer is always the same. Control what you can. But within that, I think we really have to take a look at, are we actually controlling what we can? And I'll use Mel and, you know, Mel's an example of this and she won't mind that I'm <laughs> throwing her under the bus a little bit because she admitted it. Like, we talked about this. We had a whole talk. Uh, we we walked the dogs. We had a talk about this. And we take our sleep very seriously. So one of the things that you can do is have the same sleep and wake schedule every day. Same sleep and wake schedule every day. So typically, we're getting in bed um, and starting to like wind down, get in bed, and you know, brush our teeth, things like that, around 9 o'clock. And then typically... Where Mel will usually get up around five, I'll usually get up around six. However, she scrolls in bed. Um, sometimes I do. I've really tried to make a point to not do that. But when we were talking about like, hey, what can we control with our sleep routine? She's like, I, you know, I scroll in bed. I know like the blue light exposure. Is horrible for your circadian rhythm. It's horrible for your sleep. And she's like, I know I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I know that I'm not give, doing myself any favors. And a lot of times, you know, when we look at the fact that we're not sleeping as well as we want, we're not getting the quality of sleep that we want, we're not getting the duration that we want. It's easy to look at the things that we can't control. It's easy to look at, well, the, I, you know, my kids' schedule, my work schedule, all the things, but. What about the things that you can control? Are you really optimizing the things that you can control? So there's some some simple things, just you know, trying to have a consistent schedule, trying to find ways to decompress that don't involve blue lights. You know, maybe it's uh, reading, maybe it's some deep breathing, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's sex. There, this the person that was. Uh, that I listened to, the sleep expert said that sex with your partner before bed improves sleep quality. You get a nice oxytocin release. Uh, you know the feel-good chemicals happen. Uh, there's that feeling of connection, and it helps uh, to get into a deeper sleep, more quality sleep. Um, when you eat your last meal, 
can influence it. Basically, we don't want a lot of things happening in the body, even digestion. So if you give yourself a nice two to three hour buffer from the time you eat your last meal, from the time you go to bed, that's going to be beneficial because you're not asking your body to do a bunch of things when it's supposed to be putting everything on pause. Alcohol is an obvious one. Caffeine is an obvious one. Um, if you're drinking caffeine too close to bedtime, uh, it's going to be more difficult to fall asleep. If you are drinking alcohol at all, it immediately puts more of those resources towards getting rid of the perceived toxin than it is to helping you actually recover and, and fall asleep. Um, now there's always that question of, well, what if I didn't get a, a good night's sleep, but I'm supposed to go to the gym? Which do I sacrifice? And it's an it depends answer. And and really the simple way to look at it is because I can't give I can't give individual answers based off of everybody's situation. But what I can say as a generic blanket statement is if you normally get really good sleep and you are pretty consistent normally across the board, then go to the gym. If you have one night, like normally you're good and you have one night that you just didn't get great sleep, go to the gym. If you consistently struggle, prioritize sleep. If you consistently struggle, prioritize sleep. That's just a, a blanket statement. Um, there's other things you can do. Like Again, Mel and I take our sleep very seriously. So if you look at our supplement routine, like 90% of it is based around sleep. 90% of it is based around sleep. Mel, you know, we have our our routine at the end of the end of the evening where, you know, we take our little sleep drinks, um, gold juice from from Organifi, Harmony from Organifi. Um, and then we are taking our Serenity gummies. And that's one of the most important things that we travel with them. We take them everywhere because that really helps to calm the brain. What I find is that I don't have like the racing thoughts when I take those. Um, sometimes I'll wake up with racing thoughts, but that's just the nature of what I do for a living. Um, but for the most part, you know, I find that to be really, really beneficial in helping me fall asleep, get quality sleep because I don't have the racing brain when I'm trying to go to bed if I take the Serenity gummies by Cured. Um, but Cured is, they're like on this mission because they understand the importance of stress management and reducing anxiety and improving sleep quality and like actually putting years back on your life. Uh, so they have a whole sleep bundle that includes the Zen caps, the night caps. Um, what I would do is add the Serenity gummies to that uh, because you're, it, it's a little bit different. Like Zen caps, night caps is more of like actually helping you fall asleep. The serenity gummies are more of putting you in that serene, like no worries state of mind so that you don't have the racing brain. Uh, so it's a little bit different mechanism, but I would absolutely look at the sleep bundle by cured. I would look at the serenity gummies for sure. If you do struggle with more anxiety, they have calm oil. They have calm caps. Whatever your you know delivery mechanism, your preference is there, you can get the calm oil, the calm caps. Really strong way to reduce anxiety. Uh, but this is like their whole mission. And it's the reason why they're a sponsor. It's the reason why I talk about it so much because I use their products for this purpose to help me with the probably the single most important thing that influences everything else on this health journey. Everything else is influenced just by even one single night of sleep debt. And that's not to scare, like if you have a, a night where you didn't sleep all that well, it happens to me all the time. I don't panic. I don't freak out. I just look at what can I do differently? How can I like little tiny improvements, putting my phone away earlier, dimming the lights earlier, not you know exposing myself to blue lights earlier. Maybe I need a wind down routine, like to improve my wind down routine and um, you know, instead of watching TV, you know, we, we sh shut off the TV. We give ourselves a little bit more time to, I don't know, maybe cuddle and have sex. <laughs> um, anyway, like just little things that you can look at to improve 
the the one thing that influences everything else. And this is actually what what cured is this is their mission. Uh, so that's why they're a sponsor, and you also get fifteen percent off all of their products if you go to curednutrition.com slash popfam. That's curednutrition.com slash P-O-P-F-A-M. And uh, use code POPFAM at checkout. But I would highly recommend looking at the Serenity Gummies, the Sleep Bundle. The bundle is nice because it's already discounted, and then you get the discount on top of that. Um, they, they have amazing products, but I would I would highly recommend you look at that. And then the Calm Caps or the Calm Oil, if you struggle with anxiety, um, just go to curednutrition.com slash POPFAM and get 15% off. But this is the one thing that influences everything else. And so I know that it's one of those frustrating topics because there's so much like, you know, look, it happens. We, we have three dogs. Sometimes we're sharing the bed with three dogs. And even though we have dog beds for them, you know, they're up on the bed and then they can't, you know, they can't find rooms and then they jump down and then they're tap dancing on the hardwood or, you know, Ellie, our Frenchie is, is like a little explorer in the middle of the night. So she goes all over the place and sometimes she'll post up next to our head and she'll start snoring too loud. And then she'll try to burrow under the blankets and then she can't get comfortable. And there's some things that are just out of your control. I mean, I guess we could just, you know, (laughs) force them not to sleep in bed with us, but that would be ridiculous. Anyway. um, The, the purpose of this is to, to not be, to not be like, Oh my God, I, can't get a good night's sleep. What am I going to do? It's more so to assess the controllables. It's more so to assess the things that you do have control over and optimize there because there's definitely things that can be improved upon. Uh, So think about like, when are you having your last meal? Think about how late are you watching blue light screens? If, If it's like one of those things that you like to unwind with some TV, Mel and I are the same way. Maybe just get some blue light blocking glasses or you know make sure that your phone goes on uh, the nighttime mode when you're when you're looking at it at night um, and then you know maybe just dim the house lights a little bit once you know once it's time for everybody to start winding down um, instead of having like the bright lights all throughout your house when you really shouldn't be looking at bright lights uh, you know dim them a little bit or just you know again little tiny things. Um, get outside for some natural light in the morning if you can. First thing when you wake up, um, don't fast too long in the morning. That's another thing is, you know, have that first meal uh, within an hour of waking up. Even if it's just like a little protein powder in your coffee, something, um, you know, that gets you into that consistent feeding schedule. Um, there, there's little things that you can do. And uh, that's it. Just prioritize it. If it, if you know that it's important and you're trying to, I made a post that basically said like, imagine your body composition goal was like walking a mile, right? That's it. All you have to do is walk a mile and you reach your goals. Ignoring sleep and not prioritizing sleep is like intentionally putting it on a level 10 incline on treacherous terrain. You're like, you know what? Instead of just walking a mile, I'm going to do this steep ass incline on like ice. And that's what it's like when you ignore your sleep routine because it influences everything else. So I don't know if I can definitively say it's the single most important ingredient, but it is absolutely up there. So if you have any control, focus on it, prioritize it and do the best that you can because that's all you can ask. If you have a weird schedule, if you have kids and dogs that make it difficult Just do the best you can for quality and quantity. I promise you there are little things that you're probably ignoring that you could do a little bit better and a little bit better goes a long way when it comes to sleep. That's all I got for you today. Hopefully this was helpful and I will talk to you next time.